Hey folks, Brian here. It, it, we are now closing in on March 2023, and my goals remain the same. Um, I'm going to try to get streaming going, uh, hopefully by this summer, and I'm certainly looking to get the episodes of this podcast to and past 100 by the end of next year. Um, I also need your guys' help. Um, wherever you listen, like, rate, review, and subscribe. Leave five-star reviews, please. That really helps people find the podcast. And if you're able to and you're so inclined, you could also help with uh, monetary donations. Now, don't get me wrong. I know better than most that we are in a massive period of inflation. Mean hell. <laughs> Eggs cost $4 a dozen now when they used to cost a dollar and a half a few months ago. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, it's hard. That's why I try not to ask too much, but I'm still going to ask anyway. Um, for a dollar a month minimum, you can help get this podcast to where I want it to be, and hopefully we can get there. Um, go to anchor.fm, go to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict uh, page, and there is a button for donations right there. If you click on that, and like I said, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help this podcast continue to grow. And let's keep right on rolling into 2023. Once again, I've got things planned and finances permitting, I can achieve them. So let's go. Okay, to catch you up to speed since episode 62, I think I talked about in episode 62, but I might have already done and posted the recording. But if that's the case, I will just say it again. Um, about a week ago, I put up, yeah, it was definitely a week ago, I put up a new personal best score on Robotron, which was up over 1.3 million. Um, I hadn't touched the game at all in probably two weeks prior to that because I just wanted to play some other games during my little one-hour stint before I start my shift at the arcade. So I just decided, you know, just for the heck of it, I'll play. And it started off bad, and then all of a sudden, starting with the first brainwave, it just was the game was really really nice to me as i like to say um i mean both the f first brainwave stage and the 
second and third ones, levels 10 and 15 respectively, were really, really good. I didn't lose many lives, maybe one or two on both of those. And the concentration of the human family was near my location. I mean, within like a two-inch radius around my player, around my character, I should say, that's where most of the humans were. It was really weird. I've never seen the game be that nice <laughs> as far as the placement of uh, human family members. So I was able to pick up, like, I want to say, I'd say probably about 40,000 points within the first two seconds of the wave starting. And from there, it just kept getting better until I got to just past wave 40, then there were just some waves that just took like four or five lives and, you know, just ate into my uh, reserves. And, you know, I got past level 50 and that was pretty cool. But this Saturday, and I've already posted about it on Instagram, I topped my personal best score on Star Wars. If it isn't my best score it's pretty dang close i have vague memories of getting like 2.1 million or maybe even 2.2 but my score on the star wars machine at the arcade is what 2 million 63,000 points and i haven't topped 2 million on star wars since i want to say the summer of 84 and what even makes it more incredible is I had not touched that machine in months. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I don't understand it, where I can just leave a machine alone for weeks, sometimes even months at a time, and then I play it once and all of a sudden I'm just kicking all kinds of ass at it. It's really weird. I don't get it. I mean, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, but, you know, it is what it is. So, you know, aside from that, and then um, then I put up a really good score on um, uh, Bosconian over 160,000, and I haven't done that on a Bosconian machine in quite some time. I mean, when I play the game in emulation, I've put up, I want to say, I'd say probably about... 230,000, 240, 250, something like that. But, yeah, when it comes to actual the actual arcade game, yeah, that's the highest score I've put up on a Bosconian machine since probably, I want to say, about 1983, 1984, or something like that. So, yeah, that was really cool. Um, I worked both Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Um... Not not too much going on. Saturday was just kind of steady throughout. Sundays, as Sundays at the arcade usually are, they start off with a bang because everybody starts coming in the door right at opening at 2 o'clock. And it really doesn't let up until probably about 4.30 or so. You know, I wasn't able to get much rest. I did was able to take a moment and post... Uh, on uh, Instagram and then, you know, f subsequently Facebook and other places. But, you know, for the first couple of hours, you know, I just had people walking in the door literally one after the other after the other. Um, the owner came by. We talked for a little bit. He told me some stuff. Um, apparently, um, he has both the new Foo Fighters and the new, um, oh, Oh, the new Godfather machine on the way. 
So we're going to be having those in the arcade. And unfortunately, as anybody who's been in the arcade in Brighton knows, space is at a premium, so two pinball machines are going to have to go bye-bye. That's just how it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, with getting Foo Fighters and then getting uh, The Godfather as well, I mean, we already have James Bond uh, and um, The Big Lebowski and a bunch of other machines. I probably need to do another video walkthrough and post it on social media just so that everybody has an idea of what's going on. Um, there are a couple of regulars at the arcade who have been also wondering about the my my machine in the uh northwest corner of the arcade um getting it from the owner's mouth himself we had to send the monitors out to be re uh redone and hopefully they'll be re uh installed and uh properly uh put back in the machines and then uh they'll be ready to go because there are a lot of people actually who love the Japanese import machines. Uh, the Taiko machine, Mai Mai, Chunitham, um, oh, I can't remember the other, names of the other ones, but uh, the entire northwest corner of the arcade is mostly Japanese imports aside from the big uh, environmental cabinets in the uh, northeast corner. So, and oh, that's right, and also the uh, Darius machine is down. We're waiting on a new hard drive for that one. So hopefully that gets done and then, you know, we can get that up and running as well. Uh, aside from that, you know, not too much going on, just working and trying to get my home care caught up on and things of that nature. So yeah, nothing too weird or special going on right now. Okay. So, with that out of the way, I do actually have an email. And it's from an uh, infrequent uh, emailer to the show, Mike Stewart, and it goes as such. Hey Brian, a quick email about the latest show here. I played Dig Dug back in 1982 or 83 or so at a 7-Eleven near my friend's house. Uh, it was literally behind his home, so we played D&D till about midnight, then go through uh, his back gate and visit the 7-Eleven for snacks. While there, they always had two to three arcade games to play, and that's where I found Dig Dug. Uh, despite, or maybe because of, its silly premise, I quickly became addicted to it. The need to pump several times to make the bad guys explode meant you always had to watch your back, even when dealing with a Puka or a Figar. Uh, I also enjoyed the strategy of digging around the boulders in order to drop either onto a bad guy or to block a tunnel behind you to keep them from easily following you. Overall, a nice change of pace from Galaga Asteroids and similar shoot-em-up games. Mike in Texas. P.S. When you go streaming over the summer, does that mean you'll move to Twitch or whatever and end the uh, podcasts? I hope not. Thank you for your email, Mike, of course, as always. Um, okay, I'll answer your question first, and then I'll talk more a little bit more about Dig Dug. Um, my plan is, and it's just basically a rough... Uh, outline in my head. It's like I've said uh, over the last several months. My plan is to go to 100 episodes and then probably slow the production down quite a bit. Um, it, by, because by that time, I'm, like I said, my ambition is to get streaming started in the summertime. I mean, I have the most of the equipment 
I can just bare, I can just do a bare bones version of it. Um, but you know, I just want to make sure to get you know the proper equipment to get it all rolling. Uh, I want to get a really decent mic. I have a uh, a Blue Yeti mic on a uh, wish list on Amazon that I want to get. That's that's a hundred dollars that I need to clear. Um, or however much it is, maybe even 150 at this point. Um, you know, I want to get some a little bit more professional recording equipment. Um, you know, as I'm recording right now, I'm basically using just a Logitech headset with a mic, and that's pretty much it. Um, I have gotten I've gotten a laptop as a gift from a very close and dear friend of mine. Um, and I'm going to be using that as the streaming deck. Um, and also, you know, cause, uh, that one has a built-in camera. I can just put it off to my right and just have it, you know, just sort of, uh, looking at me or better yet off, you know, to, uh, ahead and to my right to on a diagonal and just do it that way. Because quite honestly, you know, full disclosure, my living room is a disaster area. <laughs> I mean, I still have boxes from when we moved in. I haven't touched them because I've been too busy working. So, um, no, I don't plan on actually giving up the podcast. I've actually had, uh, I've actually been entertaining ideas of when I get streaming going to actually do like a live recording of the podcast. Um, and just do it that way, just do it live on Twitch or YouTube or wherever. And, you know, just let the listeners, uh, you know, sort of, you know, watch how the sausage is made, so to speak. I mean, it's no major thing. I mean, it's just me sitting here at my desk with a microphone and, you know, have various things open on my browser and in Microsoft Word. And, you know, that's how I do this podcast, you know. So, um, no, I'm not going to give up on the podcast completely. I might slow down the production of it, depending on how the streaming goes. We'll see. Um, as far as, uh, convenience stores and video games, I remember going to private school in, like, the fall of 82, going into 83, the 7-Eleven, which was right... Uh, down a little ways down the street from the train station that I would have to catch in order to get home. Um, they always had a game in there. I think it was, oh goodness, what is that? Oh goodness, my brain is not working. Um, that se- that third sequel to Asteroids, the, a- the sequel after Asteroids Deluxe. I know people are yelling into their microphones right now. I have to look it up because it's killing. Oh, Space Duel, that's what it is. I didn't even have to look it up. My brain actually kicked in. Uh, yeah, they had a space duel machine. That's the first time I actually ever saw a space duel, actually, was at that 7-Eleven next to the Milford train station. Um, let's see, what else? There weren't any, there weren't any convenience stores on my side of town. Um, there were, I think, a couple of 7-Elevens over towards Stratford, but I never actually... Uh, went in there to check what they had. Milford had um, a 7-Eleven, of course. Um, Fairfield, I think, had one, but they didn't have any games in it. You know, they, they thought uh, probably thought arcade games were too uh, for the common folk, shall we say, depending because of where I where it was in uh, Fairfield. It was like downtown Fairfield. Um, let's see. 
uh, I didn't really see a lot in convenience stores until I moved to Florida in 93. And then, of course, there was uh, the Circle K in uh, Palm Bay just, just, um, oh goodness, now I have to think about this. Because Palm Bay is just south of Melbourne, I think. I think that's how it goes. So just, you know, right there near the town line, they have Circle K. Of course, they have uh, Champion Machine. Uh, no, Champion Machine. Champion Edition Street Fighter Two Machine. Yeah, sorry. That's gamer shorthand. <laughs> um, that my uh, future roommate and I would go in there and we'd wreck that machine. You know, um, most of the convenience stores actually around 7-Elevens and Circle Ks and you know, actual, just regular gas stations with a convenience store, they had arcade games in them. But, you know, that was also a nice little, uh, little place for, uh, when you wanted to get a little gaming in, but, you know, for whatever reason, you couldn't get to the arcade, you know, the hour was late, you didn't have transportation or what have you. So, um, the gaming, the, the gaming way station that was probably the best in my hometown Bridgeport was the news corner without a doubt. I mean, they would be, they would, like I've said, when I did, um, my review of the news corner, they, they didn't have space for a lot of machines. I think, like I said, the most they ever had was like four arcade machines, maybe five or six and like four pinball machines. So a total of like, you know, between eight and 10 and, uh, but they would rotate them out quickly, you know. But unfortunately, the arcade machines were also the difficulty was jacked up to the max. I was talking to a uh, a regular at um, the arcade about that uh, Saturday, you know. I was telling him about that because you know, you know, video gaming, you know, in the early to mid '80s was always something that I was on the lookout for, you know. If there was a place with a game, you know, I would always be interested in what they had. I mean, at one point, I can think of, what, one, two, three, four, five, like, six places within, like, a mile and a half of my house that had uh, games in them. Um, so it was always cool to go to, like, one of these little... Uh, bodegas or you know corner stores go in there with you know like a dollar and play their games and stuff it was really cool but anyway uh thank you very much for your email mike of course and keep them coming <laughs> it's like you're the only person to ever email the show <laughs> as sad as that is yeah, but like mike if you want to get a hold of me and share um your experiences with a game that i've talked about or you want a game you there's a game of yours you would like me to cover uh, by all means, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, there is a phone number for voicemails. As a matter of fact, I need to renew that just to make sure that I don't lose it. The number is 734-743-2433. Also, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On uh, Facebook, just search uh, in the search bar, just type in Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. If you type in Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, it'll take you to the uh, the group uh, the group uh, page, you know, where I ask questions about you know ex your experiences with games and stuff. And which reminds me, I need to get off my butt and actually post another question. As a matter of fact, a, another question came to me. 
So I'm going to type it out while we're doing this. So also I am Arcade Addict Brian on uh, Instagram. On Tumblr, I, it is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. And my uh, name on, uh, on uh, Twitter is arcade addict underscore B. So there you go. Multiple ways of getting hold of the show. You know, e- email, voicemail, uh, social media, you know, various so- social media outlets. So, you know, hey, if you've got questions, you've got thoughts, you've got comments, as long as you're nice. All, by all means, let them fly. Okay, so with that out of the way, let's get right on to the show. Uh, I've got some stuff here. I'm looking at it. I've got, oh, let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, I got four. I have four segments today. I thought I only had three, but I have four. So without any further ado, let's get right on to it. Top tens. Top 10s, basketball games, the arcade versions. All right. Uh, I've always been a fan of basketball for as long as I can remember. Uh, one of my earliest memories as a child was watching my older brother practicing his skyhook in the best basement of our house because he was such a fan of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I'm sure I picked up my fandom for the Lakers from him, but Magic Johnson was my favorite player, hands down. You know, being a nerdy kid in the early 80s, I was always picked last to play basketball in my neighborhood, but that only made me want to practice more so I could actually be serviceable in a game. Uh, When it came to video games, however, the good ones didn't really start showing up in arcades until the mid-80s. There are some decent ones in the home sector, but most of them were on the more powerful systems. Uh, I ended up having to split this subject in two to give give both uh, segments adequate coverage. The first one is about arcade basketball games. The second one will be about the home games. So here we go. Once again, uh, top tens are in no particular order. Uh, just basically how they came to, you know, came to, you know, came to mind when I was, you know, typing out this segment several months ago. <laughs> so let's get right to it. Okay, first one, Atari basketball. This was the one that really started it all for me. Uh, as almost all arcade games were like back in the mid to late 70s, this game was on a timer, which meant that you had to have more points than your opponent in order to win the game. And I use quotation marks for the for the uh, word win. <laughs> um, it was a one-on-one game using a trackball to move your player around the court and a tiny uh, button to shoot or defend. At the time, it was a good game, but it did not take long for it it to show how basic and limited the game was. There weren't any dunks. All you could basically do was, you know, dribble to a spot on the court, try to shake your defender, and just rise up and shoot. That's all the game was about. Um, The last time I played this game was at the Underground Retrocade, which was, oh goodness, coming up on two years ago now. Wow, how time flies. Okay, next one. Super Basketball. I talked about this in... uh, uh, episode 15. If it wasn't for its 1986 sequel, this would be probably be my all-time favorite basketball arcade game. It's pretty fast-paced and challenging, but make no mistake, you have to really know what you're doing in order to be good at it, and even then the game flat-out cheats at times. I play this game in emulation quite a bit. And that goes right into its sequel, and my number one, Double Dribble. Uh, I went into depth about this game in episode 16. 
as I said then, don't let the smooth action and flashy dunks fool you. This game has some depth to it, and you have to pick your shots well and play great defense to be good at it. It has its unfair moments too, especially when you've built up a lead of more than six points. I also play this game in emulation quite a bit. Okay, moving on to the next one. Run and Gun 1 and 2, it's a tie. I guess these games could be considered the sequels to Double Dribble, seeing that Konami also made them. Uh, I like the fast-paced action and the more realistic gameplay, but if you did too well, then the CPU would start making every shot and dunk despite the defense you play and rip steals like it's nothing. It was a quarter-eater for sure. Uh, as you might think, Run and Gun 2 was a more in-depth game than its predecessor. And I played both, and I enjoy both. But yeah, it, they can be frustrating. Okay, next ones. NBA Jam and NBA Jam Tournament Edition, another tie. These were the basketball games that really took off in the early to mid-90s. While the original was fun to play, it was the Tournament Edition that really shone when you compared the two. You had more teammates to choose from, the dunks were even more ridiculous, but despite all the craziness, it also had depth to it. Okay, moving on to the next one, Arch Rivals. This is the progenitor to NBA Jam. It was raw, rugged, and brutal, but it was a lot of fun. The court itself could be your worst enemy, and this game could actually cause real fights between people because the competition would get so heated. It was NBA Jam that made all the money for Midway, but let us not forget what came before it and give Arch Rivals its due. For sure. Okay, next one. Rimrock and Basketball. Until I discovered emulation much later in life, the only place I played this game was at Milford Rec in the early 90s. I liked it because the game was different from any other game I played before it. You could choose from 3-on-3, 5-on-5, or 5-on-5 tournament style with a top-down view. It played much like an NBA game and it was a lot more free-flowing. I played it as often as I could, which was sad to say, not very often back in the day. That's the truth. Okay, that's all ten. My honorable mentions are NBA Hangtime, NBA Showtime, and NBA Jam Extreme. Now, um, the top tens for the basketball games in the home sector are coming. I just finished writing that segment, and it took me quite a bit, to, quite a while to get everything together. So, you know, stay tuned for that. Um, if you've got a basketball game that you should, you feel should be in this list, by all means, get a hold of me arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com okay moving on let's get into are you experienced i'm too old for this hiding in front seats like a teenager oh but i think i'm getting too old for this stuff i'm getting too old for this listen you was born too old for this i'm getting too old for this i'm getting too old for this lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cut i'm getting too old for this sort of thing maybe you're getting too old for this what do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. No, we're, we're not, not too, too old for this shit. We're not, not too old, old for this shit. Like you believe. We're, we're not, not too old for this shit. Yeah. We're not too old for I'm this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Carnival. Oh, this game. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of thoughts about it, but I'm gonna save it until after I read the a small little blurb of information from uh, Wikipedia. So let's get that out of the way first. Carnival is a fixed shooter developed by Gremlin and released by Sega in arcades in 1980. It was one of the first video games with a bonus round. Carnival was ported to the Atari 2600, ColecoVision, and Intellivision by Coleco. 
A licensed Atari 8-bit family version was published in 1982 by Analog Software, the commercial software label of Analog Computing Magazine. In 1983, Acorn Soft published Carnival for the BBC Micro. Okay, uh, the gameplay. The goal of the game is to shoot at targets while conserving a limited ammunition supply for as long as possible. There are buttons for firing and left and right movement. The cocktail version replaces the directional buttons with a two-way joystick. I'd like to see that, actually. Um, let's see. Three rows of targets scroll across the screen in alternating directions. These include rabbits, ducks, owls, and extra bullet targets with higher rows awarding more points. If a duck reaches the bottom row without being shot, it will come to life and begin flying down towards the player. Any ducks that reach the bottom of the screen in this manner will eat some of the player's bullets. New ducks are added to the top row at intervals. A large pop-up target above the top row can either award or subtract bullets or points when hit. A spinning wheel with eight pipes also sits above the top row. The point value of the pipes decreases for every shot that does not hit one of them. In addition, a bonus counter increases by the value of every target shot in the three rows and can be collected by shooting the letters of the word bonus in order as they cycle through the rows. The bonus stops increasing as soon as any letter is shot. A round ends when all targets and pipes have been shot. The player receives bonus points for all unused bullets, then plays a bonus round with a, in which a large bear with a target walks across the screen. Every time the bear is shot, it rears up for a second, then begins walking more quickly in the other direction. The object is to shoot the bear as many times as possible until it escapes off the screen using unlimited ammunition. Following the bonus round, the next wave begins. Each subsequent bonus round adds a bear to the screen to a maximum of four. Higher level features increase target point values, more ducks, fewer extra bullet targets, faster moving targets, and an increased rate at which new ducks appear. The game ends when the player's ammunition is supply is exhausted through firing and or being eaten by ducks. Okay, moving to the development. Carnival is one of the few games that has two different PCBs, one for each version. Normally, a game only has one PCB with a dip switch that sets it to either upright or cocktail mode. The upright and cocktail cabinets each come in two varieties, one wood grain and the other one painted orange and white. Actually, have a car carnival machine at the arcade in Bright Brighton, and it's orange and white. Um, the tune that plays throughout the game is Sobre las Olas, or Over the Waves by Juventino Rosas, a tune commonly associated with carnivals and fun fairs. The game's general instruments AY38910 chip uh, allows for a f relatively complex rendition of Rosat's Waltz with overlaid sound effects. Hmm, I didn't know that. Huh, cool. Okay, finally, the reception. Electronic Games called the ColecoVision port of Carnival, quote, a letter-perfect recreation of the arcade original that's not to be missed, end quote. In a retrospective discussion of the arcade's game music, video, ga video game scholar Andrew wrote, quote, As the track makes use of all three tone channels, using two for the waltz's characteristic oom-pa-pa and one for its memorable melody, the resulting texture is rich enough to do the music justice. An inclusion of numerous sound effects, including three different duck quacks and a bear's roar, makes for a veritable sonic feast, end quote. Okay, and that's all there is for uh, Carnival on Wikipedia, so let's move right on to my experiences with it. The first time I played this game was at the James E. Strait shows, I think in 1980 or 1981. 
Even as an 11 or 12 year old kid, I like the irony of playing a carnival video game at a carnival. Uh, the action is fairly frenetic on the first level and it just gets crazier from there. The ducks can really break your game in a hurry and you really have to be conservative with your firepower and be on the lookout for additional bullets to keep your game going. It takes quite a bit of practice to get good at it, but once you achieve a level of comp competency, it's challenging and a lot of fun. The arcade in Brighton has a carnival machine and not a lot of people play it, to be honest about it. The learning curve is deceptively steep. And that's true. Because I do uh, walk-arounds of the arcade like once every hour or hour and a half more to reset the pinball machines that people have abandoned their games on but also to check and see if there are any issues going on with the machines or any customers having problems and the carnival machine is on the back wall in the uh southeast corner of the arcade and you know not very many people play it you know you know i've talked to the owner about that we should probably get some more machines in and take out some machines that people are playing but let's leave that alone <laughs> let's just leave that alone for now that's a whole nother can of forms i don't feel like opening um so yeah that's carnival if you played it if you own it if you've seen it if you're curious about it if you got something to say hey get a hold of me arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com all right going on from there let's go into arcade review Classic Arcade, Monroe, Michigan. Okay, like I've always said, uh, I rate an arcade by five different criteria. Location, selection, ambiance, functionality, and value. Um, I've gone into depth about all five of these criteria and what they mean. So uh, if you are interested in that, uh, just go back into some of my earlier uh, episodes where I go into uh, a lot more detail about each of these criteria. I rate uh, each criteria 1 to 10 with half points coming into play. You add up all the scores and you average them out by 5. And you have a final score. So let's get right on to it. Alright, location. I give it a 6.5. Okay, um, at the time when I wrote this, when I went down there, I had dropped off my uh, godson at the airport to go visit family and I thought the uh, arcade was fairly close to the airport, and no, it was a good, another good 25-minute drive to get down there, but that's the perspective from which I wrote this review, so take it with a grain of salt, if you will. Uh, location, 6.5. Uh, although getting there from the airport was a bit of a jaunt for me, I have to admit the location is actually decent. The Mall of Monroe is on the north side of town, sitting almost equidistant between Interstate 75 to the west and U.S. Highway 24 to the east, both, ro both roads running north-south through the area. State Road 50 is a few minutes south of the mall, running east-west, connecting Monroe to the town of Dundee, where the 
or U.S. Highway 23 and further points west all the way to Jackson uh, and beyond. So I give it above average points. It's like really close to three major highways. So, or actually four, now that I think about it. Um, so yeah, I give it above average points there. Selection, I give it a seven. Uh, for small store spades, the selection was decent. They had 20 pinball machines and 10 arcade machines. Uh, the cross-section of games was decent, but as the name of the place suggests, the pinball machines take center stage here. They had a machine from almost every era, from the 80s to the present day, if memory serves, but they did have a good number of modern-day Stern machines. Okay, ambiance. I give it an 8, actually. Um... I do have to say this place was a bright sign of life in a dead mall. It was well lit, with plenty of video game art and back glasses to look at, and a couple of flat screens on the back wall as well. I think there was music playing over the PA, but seeing how I was there back in 2019 before the pandemic, my memory is a little hazy about it. Uh, functionality, I give it a 7.5. Uh, I did not have a lot of time when I went there, so I played a few games, including the Williams Multicade and a couple of the pinball machines. Uh, the games I played worked pretty well and looked to be in decent condition. The Williams Multicade looked brand new at the time, and they had a classic Meteor pinball machine that played excellent. And yes, it did. I haven't played Meteor since, oh goodness, the early 80s, uh, right after the movie came out. And that was the first Meteor machine I've seen since then. Um, and value, I give a straight 5. Uh, the arcade runs on quarters, so I give average value here. I think everything except the stern pins were 25 cents if memory serves. If anyone listening who has been there more recently can confirm that, please do. So you add all those up, and you divide it by 5, and you get a total score of 6.8. This place scores higher than I originally thought it would, but the, the location is not a lot better than I originally believed it to be, being within a 10-minute drive of two major roads and two major highways. The ambiance really made up for the average value, and the selection was pretty decent for a small arcade. If you're in the area, I suggest you check it out, especially if you're into pinball machines. So there it is. Uh, that is Pinball Classic Arcade in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, if anybody who lives down there who listens to this show, uh, if you have a different feeling about that place, hey, let me know about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com Okay... And finally, we're going to go with the silver ball. So let's get right to it. Silver Ball Genie, which was uh, made and released in 1979. Uh, like I said before, I tried looking for a lot more information on it, but I was only able to get what I have from my own memories and also looking up some things on, uh, on uh, YouTube. So here it is. Uh, this was the first machine I ever saw with a digital score display, 
and when I first saw it in Trommel Ball Arcade, I thought it was the coolest machine until the Space Invaders machine came in a couple of months later. Even if it shared a sound palette with the Hulk machine, which uh, came out at the exact same time, it was a very good pinball machine. Wide body, five flippers, one of the first machines to have a mini play field in a bonus collection lane. What's not to like about that, really? Um, it sold over 6,800 units, which isn't too bad. Uh, I read somewhere this this was Gottlieb's answer to Bally's Paragon, which was one of the most beautiful machines of that era, possibly even of all time. Genie is a pretty machine to look at, and it plays nice, but Paragon was the gold standard for that era as far as aesthetics went, in my opinion. Uh, I found a video on YouTube, shout out, shout out to Tomi Electronic, all one word, uh, that showed the, showed the machine, and also found a video from Papa that's uh, Pennsylvania Pinball Association, I think, uh, and that showed me the gameplay. It's an easy machine to score on if you can make your shots and keep the ball alive. Uh, I rem remember having trouble nudging the machine because I was a kid when wide bodies were hard to nudge, especially when they were wedged in tight with other machines like this one was in the Trumbull Mall arcade. Uh, we're talking literally two inches between machines at the most, barely enough space for your hands and the hands of the person next to you. But it was a classic, and I would love to play one. As a matter of fact, I have it in emulation and it plays pretty true to the original and I was having a lot of fun with it. I need to get back into doing emulation. That's a good way to satisfy the pinball, the occasional pinball Jones. I need to do that. Uh, but anyway, that's uh, Genie. If anybody out there has more information on it, you know, any stories about the manufacturing or the people who created it, hey, give me that information. I'd love to know. Brian at gmail.com and that is it for episode 63. Uh, short and sweet, and we got quite a bit done in that short period of time. And so looking ahead to episode 64, I have another top tens. Uh, one of about one of my favorite topics, actually. Uh, let's see, an arcade rundown. And let's see, what else we got? Our experience and time for some strategy. So... You know, we have that coming up, so, you know, stay tuned. Uh, there's quite a bit here, so I think you'll enjoy that one as well. But until then, this is Brian saying, have fun out there, good gaming, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.